Welcome to the Soul Foods devotional podcast produced by International Students Incorporated. Today, we're led by our very own Jeff Townsend. After pastoring churches in Iowa, Texas, and Colorado, Jeff and his wife Mary were involved in missions work in the Middle East. Since returning from the field, Jeff has faithfully served with us at ISI. Here's Jeff. What happens when you suddenly realize that something valuable is lost? On one of our trips back overseas to serve the Lord, I discovered in Frankfurt, Germany, that my brand new laptop was missing. When we arrived at our apartment at 3 a.m. the next morning, I was immediately on the phone to the Denver International Airport lost and found. What happens when something of value is lost? You make every effort to find it. And when the item is located, like my laptop turned in by an observant TSA agent, there is great rejoicing. Today, I'd like to share with you a small sampling of the biblical evidence for a most amazing character trait of our God. He is always seeking his highly valued but helplessly lost creatures. And if that is true, we must ask, how should that change us? Our exploration today will take us from the Old Testament to the New, so we can't stop long at any one passage, though I wish we could. We begin our study at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 1, we are astounded by the fact that God created all things from nothing by the power of his word, culminating in the creation of man and woman in his image. Genesis 2 goes on to fill in related details of the creation in chapter 1 and sets the stage for the tragic fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3. The very last verse in Genesis 2 sums up the goodness of all that God had done in chapters 1 and 2. It says, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here we see openness, no fear, no shame, no guilt, all good. How devastating, then, the fall into sin in Genesis 3. We read, The eyes of Adam and Eve were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. The comparison to the last verse of chapter 2 is startling. Now there is covering, hiding, fear, shame, guilt, definitely not good. God had every right in his justified wrath against sin to immediately judge the man and woman and start over. But he did not. Why? Because he's always seeking those he set his eternal love upon, because he highly values relationship with them. We see God's gracious and undeserved seeking of the first sinners, beginning in Genesis 3.9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that word means a hostile opposition, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's Genesis 3, verses 9 to 15. Not only did God seek out the sinners in their sin, he promised a seed or offspring of the woman who would crush the serpent's head and provide salvation through the bruising of the seed's heel on the cross. In Galatians 3.16, we are told that this special seed is Christ. To sum up, so from the very beginning of Scripture, we see that our God graciously seeks his fallen creatures and will provide redemption for them through the seed or offspring of the woman, Jesus Christ. But what would God do to bring about the birth of such a special person? Always the seeker, God's answer was a pagan man living in Ur of the Chaldeans, whom God graciously called to himself and to whom God made great promises recorded in Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, where we read this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now in the very next verse, Genesis 12, 4, we read that Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And so we see here Abraham's faith spoken of later in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But we note once again that the initiative was from God, who is always seeking, changing the heart of a pagan man so that God's plan to bring blessing to all the families of the earth could go forward. As the rest of Genesis unfolds, we see that the seed of the woman would come through Abraham's descendants, Isaac and Jacob. So the call and promises given to Abraham add to our understanding of our always seeking God. His desire is not just to bless Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people, but through them to bless all the families of the earth. Next, we move ahead from Abraham's day to examine the hymn book God inspired among the descendants of Abraham. These were the worship songs the Jews sang in the days of Moses, David, Solomon, and those following them. Now, we might assume that the songs of ancient Israel spoke only of God's interest in the Jewish people, but our assumption would be wrong. We've already seen that God sought out Abraham and chose him so that blessing might come to all the families of the earth. Well, this is also a major theme in the book of Psalms. We have already seen that God sought out Abraham and chose him so that blessing might come to all the families of the earth. This is a major theme in the book of Psalms that we might have overlooked. Here's just one example. Psalm 67 begins this way. 
God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us so that thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all the nations. It's obvious here that the psalmist has carried forth the theme of Genesis 12.3, that God has blessed his ancient people so that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Ancient Israel's privilege was to be a shining witness to the nations of God's gracious seeking and desire that none should perish and all should come to repentance, as Peter put it in 1 Peter 3, verse 9. By the way, that's not an isolated psalm. Echoes of this theme can be heard throughout the book of Psalms. For example, in Psalm 48, 83, 96, 117, and so forth. So to summarize, the hymn book of Israel, the songs God's people sang in worship, that hymn book is full of references to God seeking all the nations through the witness of his nation. Not surprisingly, then, we see the same pattern in the prophets of the Old Testament. God is interested in seeking the lost among all the nations. The outstanding example, of course, is Jonah. In the story of God's reluctant prophet, God clearly shows his heart, not only for the pagan peoples of Nineveh, but the pagan sailors on the boat that actually threw Jonah overboard. And that calming of the sea caused them to turn their hearts over to God. Well, the surprise at the end of the book of Jonah is that when God changed the Ninevites' hearts, his prophet was angry because he had no compassion for thousands of lost souls. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw the Ninevites' deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Then in the first verse of chapter 4, we read this, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. In response, we must ask ourselves, who are the Ninevites in my neighborhood? You know, they're pretty easy to spot. They're the folks we usually avoid. God is still seeking Ninevites as close as next door. <laughs> Will we seek them or remain angry with them like Jonah? Throughout the Old Testament, we see that God was always seeking the lost among all the peoples of the earth because he values relationship with those he set his eternal love upon. Israel's special place of blessing was to be a blessing to the Gentile nations in leading them to the one true God so that they might also be blessed by the seed, Israel's redeeming Messiah and King. Now, if we have any question whether the theme of God always seeking all kinds of lost people carries through to the New Testament, that question finds a very clear answer in the earthly ministry of the seed, Jesus Christ. Here are just a few examples. In John chapter 4, we read these strange words, 
that Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the Jews of the first century who wanted to go from Judea to Galilee normally went around Samaria, but the verse says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, and as we go on into chapter 4, we see the reason why. He had a divine appointment with a certain Samaritan woman by the well of Sychar, and when she went in and brought out the people of the city, Jesus actually hung around for a couple of days, and the Samaritans eventually said, this man is truly the Savior of the world. That's just one example. Here's another. Tax collectors were on the Jewish list of bad people because they worked for the Roman government, often very unscrupulously. But as our always-seeking Lord told the complaining Pharisees and scribes, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of those tax collectors was Levi, or you may know him as Matthew, the author of the first gospel. In Luke chapter 15, we see another example. In verses 1 and 2, we read something that's totally the opposite of what we would expect. It says, All the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now we would expect sinners to stay away from the Holy One of God and the religious leaders of Israel to embrace him. But we see just the opposite here. Well, in the rest of Luke 15, Jesus went on to tell three stories designed to show God's interest in people who are lost, whether they be the sinners of verse 1 or the supposed saints of verse 2. The three stories are the familiar stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or the prodigal son. The pattern in all three stories is the same. Something of value is lost. A strong desire to find the lost item results in an extensive search. And when that which is lost is found, there is great rejoicing, surpassed only by heaven's rejoicing when one sinner repents. Now here's Jesus' point. He welcomed sinners because like his father, he was always seeking. In the words of Luke 19.10, by the way, at the end of Jesus calling another tax gatherer named Zacchaeus, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, not only do we see the always seeking God in the Old Testament and in Jesus' ministry in the New Testament, God's seeking continues through the early church. The one who came to seek and to save lost people commissioned us to seek and offer his salvation to lost people everywhere. In the Great Commission, Jesus left us with this command, make disciples of all the nations. Then he returned to the Father and sent forth his Spirit to indwell and empower his people to accomplish the task. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The book of Acts shows the steady progress of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome, from Jews to Samaritans to Gentiles. It was not always easy going. Often, especially Jews, resisted being found. 
Consider the complaint of the jealous Thessalonian Jews in Acts 17.6, where they said, These men who have upset the world have come here also. What a marvelous backhanded testimony to the fact that the early church was always seeking. Now it's our turn. Our always seeking God is now seeking and saving lost people through our witness to the ends of the earth in amazing ways we often don't think of or don't even see. Allow me to illustrate that. Dr. Helen Rosevere, now with the Lord, was a medical missionary from the United Kingdom to Congo. In her memoirs entitled Living Faith, she writes this, Having taken a missionary friend from Congo to Uganda to catch the evening plane to the UK, after a quick sleep, I set off on the return journey about 4.30 a.m. Driving north from Kampala on a reasonable road, I was alone with nature. No one else was up yet or on the roads. I watched the dawn break over the plains, enjoying the bird chorus, when suddenly I realized, with an unpleasant swerve, that I was dangerously near to falling asleep. There were a clump of bushes a little way ahead, and I drew up at the side of the deserted road. Getting out, I found myself face to face with an African man. Quite honestly, I was taken aback, but one cannot be rude in Africa, so we went through the usual courtesies. He in East African Swahili and myself in West, but we could make ourselves understood. After the courtesies, he should have gone away. They always do in their innate politeness but he just stood there. So I asked what he wanted. Are you a sent one? He queried. Well, that is doubtless a very good definition of a missionary. So I said, well, yes, but it depends. Sent by whom for what? Are you a sent one by a great God to tell me of a thing called Jesus? Can you read? I asked him. No, he was an illiterate herdsman looking after the family's cattle. But I had in my car a copy of the wordless book, colored pages that we use to help illiterate folk understand God's way of salvation. Sitting together at the roadside in the early morning sunshine, slowly and carefully I outlined the way to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his own Savior, giving him a verse of Scripture to learn by heart for each page. Black, red, white, green, and gold. Within 20 to 25 minutes, I had watched the illiterate herdsman open up his heart to receive God's gift of faith and to believe that Christ had died for his sins, redeeming him from the sentence of condemnation. Then I asked him why he had used that strange phrase, Are you a sent one by a great God? to tell me of a thing called Jesus. Well, he explained, my brother is a teacher, but he's not a good man. He's often drunk. He came home from school early the other day, and we asked him why. Well, he told us there had been a special teacher at school that day. What did he teach? I asked. Well, he told the children that he had been sent to them by a great God to tell them about a thing called Jesus. So what did he tell them? I queried. Oh, I don't know, he answered. I didn't bother to stay. I went out and got a drink. Ever since that day, my herdsman friend concluded, when I've been out watching the cattle, I've repeated the phrase, a sent one by a great God 
to tell me of a thing called Jesus. And each time I said the word Jesus, it was sweet in my heart. So I began to want to know more about this thing called Jesus. Dr. Rosevere concludes, Isn't God wonderful? He sent me on a 400-mile journey to another country, to another tribe and language group, allowed me to feel sleepy early in the morning in order to stop me at that clump of bushes to meet with one man and he an illiterate herdsman and me with a copy of the wordless book and my auto. My heart was filled with a deep sense of awe and marvel at his grace. What do you do when something of value is lost? You make every effort to find it. From Old Testament to New Testament to today, we've seen that our God is always seeking the lost among all the peoples of the earth because he values relationship with them so much that he sent the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, to provide for their salvation. We've also seen that even today, God's method of seeking lost men and women is spirit-led people. God is always seeking all kinds of lost people, and so should we. Who is God bringing to your well of living water? Or where might God be sending you to take the message of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ? Remember, it could very well be that he is asking us to take the gospel to Ninevites or Samaritans, people we would normally stay away from. So I leave you with this practical idea. I do this every day myself. I urge you to begin your day with this prayer. Father, it is clear you are always seeking the lost. You know the divine appointments with lost people you have for me today. Prepare their hearts and help me to be sensitive and ready to be your instrument in their lives. God is always seeking all kinds of lost people. The only question is, will we. So now, go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, share the gospel. Honor and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with us all.